You know how LinkedIn has been getting better looking and easier to use? Well, today we talked to Nate Whitson, LinkedIn's principal designer, about how they've used design systems to make that possible and save the company millions of dollars along the way. This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside a Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Hey, everybody. We're excited to have Nate Whitson with us today. He is the Senior Principal Designer on the Design Systems team at LinkedIn. Nate, how are you today? Doing well. I'm actually uh, working from home today, so pretty pretty comfy in a home office, um, getting a lot done. Nice, and uh, unlimited supply of coffee, I take it. Yes, unlimited supply of coffee. Uh, I have my shoes off, so I have my comfy socks on. That's always a, a good thing. <laughs> yeah, full comfort mode. So yes. uh, it, I would struggle to think that anyone out there doesn't know what LinkedIn is or does. So I think we can all assume that uh, we get that part. But tell us a little sure. bit about what you're doing at LinkedIn and what you're working on that excites you. Yeah, totally. Well, I'll actually lean in on the uh, the part of LinkedIn that a lot of people don't know about. Um, so I think a lot of people are probably familiar with our our product, the you know social network for professionals, kind of what's what's out there that they might use all the time. Their LinkedIn profile. There's actually a large part of LinkedIn and a big part of the teams that we have here that work on products that are for kind of special cases for different industries. So. Recruiter was our first product that was outside of, you know, our usual consumer uh, stuff. And we also have products for salespeople like Sales Navigator. We also have LinkedIn Learning, which uh, kind of got launched with the acquisition of Linda that happened uh, recently at LinkedIn. So it's actually a lot happening that I think the public doesn't see unless you happen to be in one of those industries. So it's something I like to call out uh, about LinkedIn so, so people have an idea if I talk about how big the team is and kind of the number of engineers we work with and things like that, they know that we actually have a lot of other kind of specialized uh, you know, SaaS stuff out there for these uh, different industries and more at it all the time. Um, with the acquisition of LinkedIn by Microsoft, which uh, happened last year, even more kind of going on. So. I think that's an important thing to call out just so people have it in their in their minds that LinkedIn is kind of more than what they might see in the surface. Um, what I worked on, I work on in particular is, like I said, the design systems team. We have a product, and that's the way we think of it as a product called Art Deco. And that's our design system that supports all of those products that I just mentioned uh, and many more things that are happening locally in India, things that are happening in China. Uh, things that are just our internal apps that uh, engineers or data scientists use to track uh, metrics. Um, so it's actually a very wide-ranging system, and I've been working on that for over two years now. So it had its genesis about two years ago, and we're finally seeing it kind of roll its way into our consumer product just in this past six months. Um, right. So that's kind of a long time to be on a on a product like this but it's yeah that's a long rollout fruition yeah um so 
Would the recent updates to what most people would recognize as LinkedIn, were those kind of a result of that work? Yes. Yeah. So that's a reflection of that work. Obviously, a ton of work by our product design teams who are, you know, really working on that feature set and, you know, the engineers building it. But that's kind of the culmination of what we've been working on. We've actually had a bunch of other products who have adopted this design system, you know, Art Deco, earlier as kind of a test bed for what we were doing later on. So this has actually been put into other products you may not be familiar with, um, even as, you know, a year and a half or two years ago. Right. So how was that rollout look like? How do you manage um, what products or what pieces of products get the updates? Um, and how do you decide what the priority is? Sure. Yeah, I mean, that that's a really, it's a great question. I think, uh, I don't know if we had it like fully mapped out and thinking about it as strategically as we could have. Um, but how it ended up rolling was in some of our maybe less well-known or some of our kind of venture bet products, um, smaller applications that uh, a narrower audience might use that may not have like the big user base of LinkedIn.com. Right. So that started like in our Pulse product. So that was the Pulse was an acquisition that kind of went through uh, a shift and we applied this design system to Pulse very early in its life lifespan. So that gave us an opportunity to learn about what was working and what wasn't, um, both for the users as well as our own design and engineering teams. We got to use it on some internal products. We got to use it on a platform that powered a lot of our microsites and that was a bit of a test bed for what we needed to do by the time we were going to roll it out much more broadly. Right. Um, so it morphed quite a bit over that time. So but, would you say uh, that testing with those other products and those kind of limited audience was a way to prototype the way that these particular things worked and make sure that you had them right before you brought it into the, the widest audience, which is kind of the tool that most people think about when they think of LinkedIn? Yeah, for sure. That was that was a good test bed. Um, we learned a lot about not only for the design system itself, so just the nuts and bolts and the pieces that went into it, uh, but also our, our, our engineers learned a lot. So the, the people that we work with to actually deliver this, you know, into our code base, yeah. they learned a lot, learned what not to do um, and what to do. So by the time we were ready to roll this to the the big audience, we knew a lot of the things that we wanted to avoid yeah, and the things we needed to do to you know, make, make it good for site speed, for example, or easy to work with for our engineers as well. Yeah, that makes sense. So how much do you think, if you had to estimate, like how much changed from the time that you originally started working on the system, um, how much changed as a result of testing with those smaller groups that ended up being, uh, you know, a big gain for when you actually rolled it out to the, to the masses? Yeah. So, th I mean, there was some really, I could go into like details on some of the things that ended up mattering a lot, but there were some real fun foundational kind of fundamental changes that we, so we learned a lot about how to design a, a, a type system for example, that we ended up completely reworking uh, because we found out the, the way that we had you know, rolled it out to these, these groups really wasn't going to work if we needed to roll it to all of our products. So that was kind of a key learning that it might work for this one group, 
or a small group, but we knew that it wasn't going to work if we needed to apply this everywhere because of the different use cases we were going to have from a product that was super data dense to one that was more open and kind of, you know, a consumer oriented product that wasn't about like digging into a bunch of tables and things like that. Right. Um, so we knew that we were going to have to simplify that. And we knew that we were specific example that we couldn't use semantic type names. So we, we knew that we couldn't call everything a headline. Uh, because that would turn out that if everyone was applying this, but they needed a different size, it wouldn't really work the way that we had intended it. So they were going to be calling something a headline just because they wanted that size, for example. Right. Um, but that wasn't going to be semantic anymore. That wasn't going to apply in, in the code well. So we had to completely rework that type system. Um, we ditched a font along the way, decided to use a different one. Um, and all those things we learned in that kind of first six months to a year before we really got going on what I would consider kind of the mature stage of the design system that we have now. Yeah, that's interesting. So what kind of things were you listening for? Were you getting feedback or looking at analytics, talking to users? Like, How did you get that insight to make those decisions? Yeah, so we, I mean, we got a lot of feedback through the design uh, testing process through research. So ahead of when a product launched, um, we got to hear how kind of sentiment and we call our users at LinkedIn, we call them members. So I'll say members when thinking about uh, users. So we call, we got a lot of that sentiment back during the research phase ahead of um, when the product actually launched. And then we also got a lot of sentiment um, and direct feedback once the product launched and got a bigger audience. Uh, so that was useful. Like, were we on the right track, just in the right zone for something that should feel like a modern, um, modern app or, you know, modern web app? Um, what are the expectations that users have? LinkedIn, uh, needed to take a pretty big jump. I think, um, I don't think anyone would argue that our, our desktop site was like a shining pinnacle of modern web design. It was really due for an update. Um, but we, we did hear a lot directly from members through that research process. Equally important is we heard a lot from our internal teams is, you know, the way we think about our design system is as a product that has a goal in mind for our, our members. It wants, you know, we want to support great user experience, but our users internally are designers and engineers. Mm -hmm. So when we're thinking about this as a product, that's our audience. So we learned a lot about how to deliver this system to make it extremely user-friendly for the designers and engineers who actually needed to build with it. Right. So you're making and, a tool for those people to make a great experience for the end user who is your LinkedIn member. Exactly. So I think that was probably the biggest insight that we had along the way. There's been a lot of good writing out there now about, well, of course, that seems like obvious that 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 would be the case and you need yeah, to in treat hindsight, it like right? a product. <laughs> yeah, you know, but as we were kind of going through this, um, the idea of doing design systems at the scale, material design came out right about the time when we uh, had gotten going on our project. There wasn't a lot of uh, kind of authorship or thinking out there about how do you do this at a very large scale. And uh, so, yeah, in hindsight, it seems really obvious, but we really needed to focus on our users of the product in order to get that end goal, which was this great user experience for our members. 
Right. Um, yeah. So we kind of made sure that we were focused on that and we're really driven by that now when we're thinking about our design system as the product for our internal teams. Yeah, which seems kind of counterintuitive to um, the what we might consider the traditional thinking about how you go about creating something for the actual end user, the person who's paying you money to use the service. Right. You don't think about designing for your inside first and then, and then by proxy, I guess, that it creates a better experience for them. So it's, a, it's an interesting insight. How, um, how have you seen the, the teams who are actually building the products that people use, um, how have you seen their like efficiency or their accuracy? Or are you tracking any metrics around how they're using the system and, and what that's led to in terms of maybe speed to get products into market or testing new ideas or anything along those lines? Yeah, so we, we actually do, um, we did do some breakdowns on the cost, especially for engineers, which are very expensive, uh, engineering time with those teams to, to build something. We actually looked at uh, kind of an average dollar amount per hour spent on building out some of what, you know, the equivalent of a very core library, foundational styles, some of the very simple components. And if we replicated that across all of the engineering teams that we have at LinkedIn, that would that's a colossal amount of money each year. So we kind of were able to quantify it um, within a good, pretty good ballpark of what it would cost if we had didn't have any system in place. Uh, so we knew that that was um, going to be a cost savings no matter what. Like as soon as you start to introduce that, uh, you know, reusable code library, that was going to be not only a big cost savings to the business, but it also directly impacted or should directly impact like engineering happiness. So like retention right. for the engineering uh, team yeah, and you know, how, sa how satisfying it is it, is it to build your product? Um, how quickly can you get something to ship it and to test it? Um, are you proud of the way it looks and the way it feels when it actually hits, uh, you know, the front end? Yeah. Um, so all those things, you know, we, we, we get feedback from our internal teams along the way and make improvements to how we're doing, all of kind of the engineering pipeline. And it's the same thing for design, um, you know, kind of in the weeds a little bit, but we started, we adopted an Envision product called Craft that delivers this library right into their main tool, which is Sketch. And now it's a drag and drop process to pull in all of the stuff that we use in our library. And feedback on that was tremendous. We know that it cut out a lot of repetitive time. That is not great design thinking, design doing time. It's kind of those tasks, which are these copy pastes that you add up in like minutes, become hours, become weeks over yeah. the course of the year. So, yeah, we, we, we know that it's actually had a big impact that has saved the, the comp company uh, time and, and money. Yeah, and not just quantitative stuff, but qualitative stuff. People For enjoy sure. doing the work more. Absolutely. And that, we've heard that over and over again. Like we, we literally had, you know, people... Uh, you know, pinging us on Slack or writing us emails and just saying like, thank you. This is like <laughs> made my life so much better. Just focusing on that delivery, the way that we were actually giving it to them. And the other insight is that if I can step back a bit to focusing on the user of the product to achieve your end goal, um, to make it really dead simple 
to do the right thing, which is using this design system because it made their lives better. Right. And that just is like a product, like, you know, product design, like one one But um, if you think about it that way, then you drive up the adoption rate. You mm-hmm. get like more of the stuff actually being used in your product. More teams want to use it. And then you get that great mm-hmm. result of consistency and quality in your product for your members, for your users. Right. So. Right. And then they see that and the consistent experience across all the different things that they touch, which yeah. gives a higher uh, feeling of quality. And yeah, so all over, it just kind of raises the, um, I guess, the um, the feeling of, of you know, desire and, and, and desirability to use the app. For sure. Yep. So I, I like what you said about design thinking versus design doing. Um, Because those are definitely different parts, and they go hand in hand. And uh, it seems that what I'm hearing you say is that by using the design systems and the the style guides and the tools that you've built, you've enabled the teams to actually do more of what they were hired to do, which is thinking about solving the actual problem for your member and doing more design doing, which is actually trying to work on solving that problem instead of getting set up and getting prepared to solve the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And in it, I I did a a little just study of myself and like the team around me in how how much time literally was spent in kind of hunting for, you know, the thing that you wanted to to pull into your project, asking other teams like, "Hey, do you have you know, do you have something that solved this problem before?" copying and pasting stuff. You know, all those like little things that you end up doing that are kind of not the real function of your job and right. you know, what you're were hired to do and uh, to be this, you know, great design thinker who's really user centered and, and, and focused on that. There's a lot of like stuff that builds up that is just like, you know, kind of usability problems that our team can help to solve for our designers. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, the more you end up with a lot of cruft and a lot of technical debt, really, because if you're copying and pasting things multiple, anyone who's played the telephone game knows that if you copy and paste things repeatedly, eventually uh, that consistency is going to break down. Totally. So if you've got like a single source of truth for everything, that makes it a lot easier for everybody in the chain. Yeah. And you have your, you know, your uh, button style, final, 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 06, final. Um, (laughs) Yeah, right. All that stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you mentioned that it's a you know pretty large increase in not just consistency and quality, but also kind of the the positive feelings about the design systems. Um, do you have any idea what the financial impact was in, in dollars or even percentages and like and how the the stakeholders up the chain and the C level or or product managers up the chain are, are viewing design systems now? Yeah, I mean, so very fortunate in that we had buy-in, and uh, this this project was um, something that all of our leaders were already on board with. Like we had to, there was no selling. Uh, in fact, um, I was brought in to work on this project. I had the good fortune being asked to do it um, by our design, you know, design VP at LinkedIn. Uh, there was already buy-in coming from executives in our engineering group 
and buy into the very top from our CEO, Jeff Wiener, who was also the head of product during the time, you know, basically for the last two years. So this already, you know, I think a lot of these projects often kind of need to get championed. So you need to kind of be able to talk clearly about what kind of value it's delivering to the business. So not just mm -hmm. your, your users, but also to the business. I mean, to your users, there is delivering value to the business, right? Because they could be more engaged. Um, they feel that consistency and that quality in your product. So, you know, your chances of success there are higher. But to really quantify it in terms of uh, money saved for the business, so you can focus on things that really matter or you can cut down on the time it takes to iterate and ship something. Um, we didn't have to sell that. That was already there. Um, so we didn't have to spend a lot of time gathering that data. That was something that was already bought into. Mm -hmm. But we do know that it was literally millions of dollars saved when we broke down that time for engineers. Um, wow. Just on that, it was millions of dollars saved. And I mean, we're, we're a pr fairly large company. Uh, so you know, that added up pretty quickly for the number of you know, engineers working on any front end for any of our applications. Sure. Um, but I, I would expect that just if you have, to, you know, even on a small team, those little things add up. So I can't advocate enough for the design system as a saver for the business. Um, even if you're replicating it, say, twice, and you have a very small team and just a few engineers working on it, they're going to want to have reusable code anyway. And this is just about doing it at scale. Right. Uh, to me, it's just this, it's kind of the smart way of doing business at scale and, you, and for any kind of design pretty much moving forward, I think. I think there's uh, there's very little... I can talk about some of the drawbacks, but I think there's very little to kind of argue against adopting a, a flexible design system at, you know, for any type of scale. It, I think it's a really, really smart move. Yeah, especially when you're talking about saving, you know, huge amounts of money as it pertains to, you know, the, I mean, that's a cost that you're just essentially eliminating, right? Yep. You're making the team more efficient. The team enjoys their job more, so you cut down on turnover and all of those other ancillary costs. So it, it's really helped uh, not just make the website look better and easier to use, but it's also helped the company be more efficient. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's well put. Yeah. So when going back to like the way that it actually looks and the way that the members interact with it, um, mm. how kind, what kind of analytics are you looking at or... Um, how do you know that once it gets out into the wild that you've actually improved the experience for the person who's paying LinkedIn as a, as a, um, what do you call it? A, a prime member or a, um, Oh yeah. Premium. A premier, a premium member. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we pick up signals in a lot of different ways, right? So there's just at an analytics level, if we're ever shipping anything that has been well-established in our product, we need to make sure that the, the metrics that we care about to measure that we're delivering value are on the uptick or at the very least are neutral for any kind of change like this. Um, so there's, there's a very kind of hard numbers piece to it um, to see if there's anything about 
the design system itself that's kind of getting in the way of our members finding value or completing tasks on the site, right? Right. We would never want to get in the way of that. We want at the very least for it to be neutral or to see an uptick just with a change, say, in a, a visual change or a change in the usability uh, of a component that we, you know, we shipped and people are using. Um, so we can we can test it that way. A, a big one is kind of in the in the brand sentiment. So you know, another big piece of the the design system is that it's your expression of the brand in your product. And that's what people will think about when they think about your product and kind of the associations they have. Does it feel modern? Does it uh, feel light and airy as you intended? Um, does it feel serious? Does it feel professional? You know, those are kind of the things that we think about. Right. Does, does it convey the brand attributes, right? Totally. And, and we can hear that through research. Um, and we have heard that through research. So the kind of response that we've gotten to Art Deco has been the kind of thing that we were aiming at, um, which is to feel like this is a you know modern, professional look and feel, one that um, feels like the what do people associate with LinkedIn and feels like the kind of conversations that you have, the things that you post in your feed, um, all of the UI feels appropriate to that kind of uh, professional social network. Right. Um, so we, we do hear that back and those are kind of the two things we pay attention to the most. You can look at a lot at, you know, you can look at other stuff like app downloads for mobile apps, things like that, and what people are writing in comments. Although that's can be interesting to, to read what people write about, uh, your product and like the, uh, you know, the app store, um, not always the best place to find great feedback, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's a data point, but not, it's a data point. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, thinking through kind of the daily usage of LinkedIn, I mean, obviously, you know, I've, I've used the product, I use it pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got my perspective on what some of the tasks or some of the, uh, features or functionality that are high priority for me. How do you go about determining priority of things, um, and, and how to map those user journeys or map those experiences out in a way that's actually going to increase usage or increase loyalty or, or desirability or any of those factors? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so I think, you know, the thing that we probably hear most often is uh, that I'm on LinkedIn, I have a profile, I've made some connections, but I'm not, I don't know entirely what LinkedIn is for. Um, And because I think LinkedIn is a tool, it's kind of a business tool for individual professionals that is very adaptable to their needs. And those needs change over time uh, as you're, you know, kind of move through different phases of your professional life. Mm-hmm. So the tasks, I think there's a lot of very common tasks, you know, messaging would be a very common task that it gets shared. Uh, you know, I want, just want to send a message to somebody in my network that can be shared by a lot of people in different you know, phases of their professional career, different phases of their relationship with LinkedIn. Um, so it's a really kind of co- potentially very complicated uh, interaction between a lot of different tasks and different users, right? So really in different places, a, a senior leader is at a really different place than somebody early in their career. And that's one of the 
giant differences between LinkedIn and, and Facebook, although we get that comparison a lot. Um, as this is representing your professional self, uh, it's a place that you can use to advance your career, whether that's a job or whether you're you know, writing about an area of expertise or whether you just want to stay like up to date on what's happening in your industry. Those are use cases that I think are fairly unique to LinkedIn and trying to figure out the interplay between all those is really complicated. Yeah. So yeah. I can't speak like directly to like a task and kind of making sure that that task is clear. Um, what I can tell you is we work really hard to try to simplify, explain and make clear what those, you know, what, how to use LinkedIn. And that's a constant challenge uh, for you know, somebody who's brand new to it or somebody who's a power user. How can you get more out of it? Um, that is always difficult and something that we've been battling, I think, for you know, since LinkedIn was built, right? Since it was right. founded. Yeah. Because it can do so many things for you, depending on where you're where you are in your career. Well, and as people's acceptance of using uh, the web and, and the tools like LinkedIn has has grown or has morphed into what we have now today, mm. you know, the ways that they look to use a tool like LinkedIn have probably changed dramatically. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and there's things that, you know, we've done to change, to help to not only modernize, you know, LinkedIn moving to messaging versus kind of a in mail or email type messaging system, moving to more one that's more instant messaging model that, that also changed the expectations that users have now or members have of LinkedIn and how they should communicate on it. Right. Um, so even just that is a really interesting use case of people not necessarily feeling comfortable with that in some cases. It felt a little too casual. Um, so you may never get that kind of response, say, out of like Facebook messaging that it feels too casual. But we certainly heard about that. Um, people want to put their best foot forward if they're reaching out to somebody they don't know, which is very common on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of like interesting cases like that where sorting through that task is really different than, uh, you know, sorting through a very casual kind of messaging experience. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's interesting that you pointed out the continuum kind of between um, someone who's early in their career or someone who might already be an established leader in their field and, and how the types of things that they want to do on the site are different. Um, are there any other kind of continuums or, or kind of spectrums that you look at in terms of how users are using the site that helps you um, understand what you should be designing and how you should be designing it? Yeah, for sure. And I think at least the way I think about it, there's a lot of different models of the way that we, you know, look at this stuff at LinkedIn. But a way that you can kind of think about it in a simple rubric would be, where are you in your career? Literally, how much time have you spent in your career? So how are you early? Are you an established, you know, senior leader? Are you kind of climbing a career ladder or kind of looking to grow your career to pivot in some way? And then how much, how familiar are, are, how familiar are you with LinkedIn? So you can kind of look at those as two axes almost to say like, right. I'm a senior leader and I have a lot of experience with LinkedIn. I'm going to use it in a really different way. Um, or I'm brand new to LinkedIn and I'm early in my career. We need, you know, there's more help that we can provide 
to just get you kickstarted on how to use LinkedIn and what it can do for you at that stage. And those things really do change over time. There's a lot of inflection points with usage of LinkedIn. If you're looking for a new job, right, that's a really direct need. Uh, if you're looking to, to whether it's to upgrade where you, where you are right now, or if you're looking for a pivot entirely, a really interesting one that's kind of newer for us is how does learning or ongoing education kind of factor into LinkedIn? It was one of the most exciting things that happened in the last couple of years was Linda uh, joining the LinkedIn team and then us uh, working on our own learning product kind of in conjunction with with the Linda team. All sorts of great learning from them. But that that really changes up how LinkedIn might be used if you know of it as a place for uh, professional development. So how can I, you know, advance my career through learning that's really uh, focused on my areas of interest or on my, you know, my past professional experience? Do I want to yeah, stay sure. current with like new tools or, you know, do I want to learn from great like leaders who are leading courses on LinkedIn learning? Really different than what we've you know dealt with before, and fit, fitting that into a complex system is not easy. So a lot of work to do there. Yeah, it's not like you can just bolt it onto the side. I mean, it's a right. completely completely different uh, user journey and and completely different set of outcomes that those people are looking for. Totally. Yep. But they're coming to the same place and got to figure out how to weave that in in a way that feels like it's natural and a way right. that's. Uh, they would like to engage with it. Uh, yeah, it seems like there's a. It seems like there's a large amount of overlap between someone who's coming to LinkedIn to um, network or to find other people to advance their career, and people who are looking for information to uh, get better with, uh, develop a skill set, or um, to to learn or to get certified in something to yeah. do the exact same goal, which is advancing their career. Yeah, totally. You know, and those. In, in in our world, at least, we see those two things going hand in hand. But I think yep. uh, you can often it, it can be a difficult thing to do if you're not used to it. And you know, we want to help prompt people in a direction that feels very natural for them. We don't want to beat them over the head. Uh, we want it to feel like this is this is good. It's not creepy. LinkedIn's not peering into my data. Um, but you know, they want to be able to. We want to be able to give them a really good experience, no matter how sophisticated their experience is with LinkedIn. So whether it's just starting or, you know, coming later. So, yeah. Yeah. So what's next? I mean, you've got this design system, you've been rolling it out across a variety of products. I think anyone who's used LinkedIn within the past couple of weeks has probably seen the new interface. Yeah. Um, is that going to mobile? Is that, are you just expanding more and more across the site? Are you digging into particular features, functions, and tasks and workflows now? Or like, what, what can we expect to see in the next six to 12 months? Yeah. So it's actually, um, you know, a version of this, of Art Deco has been applied already to our, our mobile app. Uh, it actually launched there in uh, a previous kind of flavor of it. Um, before it came to desktop. So even more work to do to kind of make sure that those two things are, are aligned, uh, that we have a really robust uh, library that's available for iOS and for Android. So for our team internally, that's kind of what we're focusing on is making sure that we can bring our deco to all of these experiences, no matter which platform. We're almost there. 
Um, we don't usually dig into kind of a page level or feature level, but uh, for us on the design system side is we're kind of looking at how can we evolve, how can we simplify, how can we reduce the imprint of the design system and our code base? How can we you know, improve that efficiency and make it even easier to work with? So that's a big focus for us this year. Um, and I think you'll probably see the impact of that in the product, but it's going to be kind of site-wide uh, as you know, more product designers uh, work on new features or make up you know, changes or upgrades to these different pieces of LinkedIn, you'll see those changes uh, that we rolled into our design system then kind of come to the site, hopefully close to all at the same time. So it feels like a very cohesive experience. Right. So things just start to look more consistent and the way things work in one part of the app will be the same way they work in some other part of the app and so on. Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal, uh, not only on kind of the product feature parity, but also all the micro interactions, the brand feel, uh, all that stuff that's kind of part of the systems level, hopefully that continues to improve. And that's that's our focus for sure. Yeah, right. And so I'm curious how you're going to see... Um, adoption of the application, people who might be new, um, how you see their usage of the app increase or how you see um, them using different parts of the app that maybe they hadn't used before because mm -hmm. now they don't have to learn a different way to do things in different spots. Yeah, that's that's one that's really hard to kind of untangle from the rest of the experience, so the product experience. I mean, there's there's you can really thinly slice testing to, to see if a small change actually made an impact like that, really kind of A-B test it, put a lot of variations in front of users to really kind of hone that in. Um, but then there's a cost to doing that amount of testing, especially at the, yeah, the sure. scale of the site that we're, you know, we're at now. But so it, it can be really difficult to untangle um, the, you know, the system in its particulars from, all of the product features or even the layout of a page and how that's changed. Um, so we kind of have to operate from a level that's a little bit removed from that. Although we do dive in to find out if our pieces are working the way that we want them to and are usable and they're not getting in the way. Um, so we, we get that data back, but really it's usually a, a kind of a step back from that is the whole thing working well. Um, Rather than, I don't know, rather than diving into details, especially just at the systems level, that's tough. Yeah, it is, because just because the somebody's having difficulty accomplishing a task doesn't mean it's a problem with the design, design system itself. It could be a problem with the way it was implemented, or it could be you know any number of things. So trying to isolate that is going to be really important. Yeah, there's a huge number of variables that could go into that. Um, so it's one of the it's one of the things that I mean I wish there was an easier way of getting at that in a design system, but because it's it's such a it's kind of ingrained into everything that we're doing at this point, it's difficult to untangle some of those things to get really focused feedback or get really focused metrics on different pieces of it because they're applied in such different contexts often. Um, right. So we, we have done research and we have done testing on, on pieces of uh, particular pieces of the library, but, you know, it's always hard to say what use they're going to be put to next and how much the page layout 
um, how much site speed or anything else had an impact on how much engagement that particular component got in that context. It's, it's difficult to know. Yeah, sure. Well, I've talked to other teams that they are very mature in their usage of the design systems. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they started from the very beginning and had a design system um, uh, when they first launched. And they actually use the design system as kind of a normalization um, so that they don't mm-hmm. consider it as much of a factor as, much, as more of a baseline. So yeah. we know they're using the design system. So now we can eliminate that as a potential factor and focus on the other pieces. So it actually helps them diagnose issues with the site or with the application a little bit faster. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good way of looking at it. Um, you set a baseline and then any kind of change off of that baseline can give you better data. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're um, running out of time here and I really appreciate you coming on the show today and, and spending some time with us. Um, what else would you say is important to know about or what else are you excited about or what, what would your parting thoughts be for the people listening? Yeah, I think the one thing that it, I maybe didn't get a chance to talk about is we put tremendous effort into accessibility in our design system. Oh yeah. Good point. Um, we have worked really hard to meet all of those guidelines and to not only like functionally like under the hood for code, for screen readers, for people who have low or you know poor vision, we've tried, we've worked really hard to factor that in. I think we've done a great job with it. Um, it's not something we kind of talk about a lot externally, but we put it again, we put a great deal of effort into it. And that's another place where a design system can really help. Um, so not just accessibility for people who have, may have something that's more permanently impacting their, you know, their visual ability or, you know, the usage of the site, but even for things as silly as it sounds, like if you're in a, you know, looking at your, uh, iPhone in a really sunny, on a really sunny day, or it's being projected up on a crappy projector in a bright room, um, how easy is it for you to still navigate your site and to still be able right. to use your product? Um, so even those temporary things, uh, accessibility has a big impact on. So that is one thing I want to highlight about what a design system can do too, is to bake that in to your entire product. Um, that's a pretty amazing impact that it can have for those users who may have some difficulty there. Yeah, and that's a great point, too, because there are a lot of companies who have compliance issues around yeah. accessibility. And as the web becomes open to more and more people, that's going to be a bigger and bigger factor. I think it's incredibly important. It's something that gets talked about a lot, but it's something that I haven't seen baked into a lot of big design systems um, throughout there's a, I think that they've done good, put good effort towards it. Uh, it's not something that's easy to do, but it's something that's very, very worth doing. And a win for accessibility for the audiences who need it most are also is a, is a win for everybody. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. It's not just for the people who need it the most. So, yep. No, I agree completely. I, I think it'd be interesting to maybe have you back on at some point and talk just about the benefits of accessibility in these systems and how you're opening, not just opening up the usage of the application to a wider audience, but 
uh, like you said, to your point about having low contrast as being projected on a screen, you know, there's a lot of other situations where thinking about accessibility um, actually benefits the application as a whole for everyone that uses it. Yeah, totally. When you think about a, uh, you know, a round doorknob, um, which can be hard to, to open if you have arthritis in your hands, uh, that lever doorknob's better, but it's also better when you have like a bag full of groceries and you need to open yeah, it with exactly. your elbow. Exactly. Um, good analogy for that. Uh, so same thing when you're thinking about this for accessibility for a, a web product or a mobile app. Yeah, great point. Well, we'll chat um, offline about getting you back on the show at some point to talk about that. Um, so cool. how would um, somebody get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing with the design systems or maybe get some feedback on what they're working on or what's the best way to get in touch with you? Sure. Well, I have to put a plug in, uh, cause I work there, but through my LinkedIn profile, um, yeah, that's so kind of the, the obvious there. choice, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the obvious choice. Just reach out to me. Um, if you want to write a note for a connection request, just letting me know that, uh, what you're interested in, in talking about, that'll be great. Um, yeah, but find me there. I'm also on Twitter. Um, Hey, what's up, Nate? Uh, those are kind of the two places that I hang out. All right, cool. And we'll link to those things in the show notes too. Yeah. Cool. Well, Nate, it's been great having you on the show today. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to chat with us. Um, we will get this up as soon as possible and, um, I'm looking forward to having you on the show again. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to be on here and talk about it. Hopefully it was helpful. It sure was. Cool. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to Design Driven. We're glad you enjoy the show. Have comments, questions, or an idea that you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us on the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email. And tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, good design is good business.